0: And welcome to Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, kinesiology professor and men's golf coach at
1: Calvin College. And I'm Chad Carlson, kinesiology professor and director of general education at Hope College.
0: And we are coming to you from the audio studio of Our Daily Bread, a non-denominational, non-profit organization that, whether it's through their radio or television broadcasts, their DVDs, their podcasts, books, mobile apps, or a website, they provide materials to help people grow in their relationship to God. We're really thankful again to be here at our daily bread. Chad, sun is shining outside, but inside the NBA playoffs are happening. Do you have a dog in this fight?
1: <laughs> you know, it seems like uh, we've got an instance of David versus Goliath or something like that here. And, and uniquely, the Raptors are man—they're they're fighting. They really are. It's fun to watch.
0: Which one's David?
1: Right. Um, I, I, I meant that Toronto would be David, yeah, that okay. Goliath is the team that's won it the last number of years, the Warriors, but um, hey, it's, it's been fun to watch, but there's so much going on in the world of sport, as usual, and we're so excited about all of it.
0: We are, and uh, we would love to spend a little bit more time kind of going back and forth on this and breaking down Kawhi Leonard's game and Steph Curry, but we have a much more exciting thing happening today. We actually have a guest on the, the podcast, and uh, we're really excited to introduce him and start that conversation. Chris Norton is with us today. Chris, are you there? I'm here. How are you doing? Uh, We're doing great. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast with us today. Uh, Thanks so much for taking a little bit of your time. I know that you're a busy person. you got a lot of things going on. Your story is famous, uh, quite unique. You actually have a book coming out fairly soon here, and you'll have an opportunity to tell your story in that way. I'm going to give a little bit of a quick snapshot, and then what I would like you to do is just jump in and start by kind of filling in some of the gaps, and then we'll end up with a few more questions after that. So, sounds great. Sounds good. All right. So, well, Chris is um, most known for a tragedy, for a moment that happened in his life that uh, happened in 2010. He was a, uh, a first-year uh, student-athlete at Luther College and uh, – During a uh, kickoff, Chris suffered a spinal cord injury, and that spinal cord injury um, was uh, very severe. It put him on the field in the moment, and Chris tells this story uh, really in vivid, uh, impressive ways in the book, but it put him on the field unable to move. And through a long period of time um, in that moment, what felt like a long period of time, it turned out that doctors had given him a 3% chance from that moment uh, to be able to move again. And that, um, that story is sort of depicted in the book, and then it sort of continues forward to Chris sort of figuring out kind of where he is in life as he relates to um, some, setting some new goals. Uh, called on his, his faith and his football background actually quite a bit in the process, ended up with um, one major goal, of walking across the graduation stage, uh, which if you uh, pop around YouTube quite a bit, uh, it is, it's is—it's a very um, famous clip that you can see. And then his second goal was to uh, walk down the aisle with his young bride. And so both of those things, um, I want—I don't want to take too much of that story. I want you to kind of pick it up from there. So that's kind of my quick background. Chris, can you sort of tell us your brief story, and then we'll start asking smaller questions around it.
2: Yeah, like you said, you know, I was injured playing college football. Just an eighteen-year-old kid. I loved football, just like the physicality of it, and uh, just just letting loose on the field. And and so I was running down the field, just a routine tackle, but I just missed time my jump just by a split second. And so instead of getting my head in front of the ball carry, my head collides right with his legs, and in a perfect but not perfect way his knee just hits me right in the neck. And um, instantly, I lose everything from my neck down. I couldn't move or feel a thing. And so I'm trying to push off the ground. Nothing's working. And eventually, the paramedics get involved. They call in for a helicopter, which was my first, you know, big indicator that this is bad. This is really bad. And at that point, I just closed my eyes. And I try to block it out. I tried to act as if reality was not happening and this is just like a nightmare and I'm just flown out to have emergency surgery and I'm told to have I have a three percent chance to move anything below the neck and that was the start of kind of a new life for me a, a new identity a new a new me and in, in a way and just been fighting to get every little bit back and and just been though graceful that uh I've been able to make some of recovery and have great people to do it with.
1: Chris, you uh, have written this forthcoming book, "The Seven Longest Yards," with your wife Emily, and in, in which you you share this uh, this story in real vivid detail. I'm amazed at how that's written and the intricate memories that you have of that experience. That experience in the fall of 2010. What's it like for you to relive some of those memories as you write them out or as you share them with us today? What are some of the feelings that you have?
2: You know, honestly, it's something that I have told so many times that it's kind of been numb to me going back to that moment. And to be honest, too, like that experience of being on the field, it wasn't a horror scene like you might think it would be. That's what because it sounds like. Because I was just so confused. I was just so naive to what was happening. So I was actually pretty calm on the field. So it wasn't like this sense of panic or fear rising up in me. It was more just confusion and just not really understanding what was going on. I think if I would have understood the gravity of the situation, it would have been more of a horror scene, probably a lot harder to tell that moment, but the, probably the hardest thing things for me to tell would be the things at the hospital when I'm about to go in for surgery and just remembering those emotions and those feelings of just feeling like my life is falling apart and waking up after surgery with this new life and motionless from the neck down. You know, some of those moments are the ones that really put you back to that place. and But I also, I don't want ever forget what it felt like to be in that Mm -hmm. situation because it gives me such a perspective for what was then and what is now Mm -hmm. and that just gives me just a boost of energy and motivation of how far i've come and just grateful for what i do have
0: Yeah. yeah Chris, I just want to commend you for the, for the writing of that book. I think it really was, is going to be helpful for people that uh, pick it up and, and want to know your story. You know, I was kind of enthralled when I started working through the pages uh, early on, mainly because at, we're, we're sports guys, right? We're athletes, and to hear that story, uh, you know, as an aside, I, I have a son that will be going off to play college football next year. And so it, it is a, it's a question I want to kind of come back to with you in, in a little while. But first, can you take me through sort of that moment where you got on the helicopter and you thought that you might die in that moment? You were, you were losing oxygen. You were losing the ability to breathe. And, and you, you found a way to center and focus. Can you, can you walk us back through that moment?
2: Yeah. So upon getting on the helicopter to fly me out to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota for my surgery, I began to lose the ability to breathe. It felt like I was, my lungs were just failing me. I was breathing into like a small straw. It felt like, and I was just really struggling for that air. And I tell the paramedics that I'm with and they assure me that, you know, we can put a breathing tube down your throat. but it can cause more damage to your spine. And I do not want to cause any more damage to my spine. So I, I decline it. I tell them I'll be all right. I'll make it through. And and they tell me they'll be right next to me the entire time and that if I need help, just to let them know. It's okay. So I trust them. And then we get in the helicopter, and you know all I can think about is my breathing. Am I getting enough air? Um, just all my focus is on that and that air that I wasn't getting. And eventually I, I get to the ceiling that I'm drowning. Like I'm, I start to panic. I'm not getting the air that I need. I, I need that breathing tube. So my eyes shoot open. I look over to the paramedic, and they weren't looking at me, and I'm, I'm mouthing to them, help me, like, help. I, I need that breathing too." But they just weren't paying attention. And so in this moment, I felt like I was going to die. I'm not getting the air I, I need. I'm going to die right in front of them. And that's when I closed my eyes. I really – it's kind of a, a sports as an athlete, you know, I, I did a lot of visualization before the game and just picturing how I wanted the game to play out, different plays, different movements or moments. And I really I went back to visualization to, to my breathing. I visualized my lungs just filling with air and then expelling it out, and I just focused on one breath at a time. And by focusing on just that one breath, and I counted each and every breath, I began to build the confidence in myself, that, okay, I'm breathing. I, I can breathe. I'm going to be okay. Just by focusing on the air I was getting instead of the air I was not getting, that moment was really pivotal for me to just stay present and just focus on the progress and what you can do versus what you can't. And that just the stepping stone for me to be able to really keep moving forward and just focusing on what I can do on the air that I was getting,
1: you know, it's hard. It's hard not to read that section and think, um, "What the heck?" You know, these, these negligent uh, responders that were with you that weren't responding to your your lack of of oxygen, your your difficulty breathing, and yet that's not why you tell the story in those details, right? The focus is on is on you changing your thinking from what you couldn't do to what you could do. Am I reading that right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not about yeah. The paramedics is really maybe it was just a a sign of a, a teaching moment maybe i don't know but well, i'm going to take it for what it what it's worth to me and that i learned that i got to focus on what i can do i can't be focusing on the things that i'm losing right um, i think that's easy for anyone to focus on the things that you can't do that you don't have the things that you're that's slipping away from you and to shift that focus back to what you can do what you are getting and i think that's just such a Way to boost your energy and your motivation to move forward and to not focus on, on those negatives.
1: So it seems like that's one, one tipping point among many where you really relied on your experiences as an athlete, that is, positive power thinking, whatever, sports psychology, whatever you had learned from coaches, from your hard work. What's the next tipping point after that one where you start to think it's not about what I can't do, it's about what I can do? What's the next moment that you remember specifically relying on your football experience?
2: I would say after the surgeon told me that I had a 3% chance to move, move or feel anything below my neck, like that was devastating. Like to hear those news and to be put in a situation that I didn't want, I don't want to be paralyzed from the neck down. I want to be put in that position. And, but yet here, here I was in that position. So I just took responsibility and knew that I had to move forward and I had to work hard. And it was all that hard work and the failures I've had as an athlete that I think gave me the confidence that I'm going to get out of this situation. I'm going to fight like no nobody else uh, to move forward and to progress. And, you know, I think back to, you know, I've had practices and workouts where I didn't think I could finish, but I finished. I had games where it looked like there's no chance of a comeback, but we came back. And as a student athlete, I failed in the classroom. I failed on the field. But mm-hmm. you know you have to keep showing up the next day and to keep going. And I think it was all of that which gave me the confidence to be like, I'm, I'm going to beat this. I'm not going to be part of that 97%. I'm going to be that 3%. Right. And so I went to work uh, right after the surgeon told me that. I started nodding my head yes and no. It was the only thing I could do at the moment, and I would nod my head for hours. I looked like a giant bobblehead <laughs> just bouncing my head around.
0: You know, Chris, I can I can hear that competitive spirit. I can hear that sort of achievement motivation that an athlete often has because you go through a lot of failure as an athlete, and you sort of uh, – Acquire an ability to just everything that comes along. You say I, I want to tackle it rather than uh, shy away from it. You're an athlete. You 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 like running around. You like flying around. You said, and you've done a lot of things in your life. Tell me now, um, what is what is your relationship to sport now as a as a person that uh, can no longer do what you could do?
2: Yeah. I love sports. It's one of the you know big things that I want I love to watch. I love like you say competition. Like that's just who I am. I am a competitor at heart. I love achieving. And so I, I still watch football on T V or and live. I'll still you know watch basketball, whatever it may be. Now, in the beginning it was harder at first to, to watch someone or like my friends play football or watch them play basketball or whatever sport it may be, or running around uh, hiking or and things that I really wanted to do that I couldn't anymore. And it was a grieving process to just having to let that go, let that stage of my life go and then just accept this new stage. And that wasn't easy, but like I said, I had to literally just grieve it and just, let it go and to move on to again it kind of came back to what can i do now and so some of the things that i focus on that i can do is just being in a wheelchair it gives me the privilege to inspire and motivate people without saying a word it's kind of funny but i could just be going out in public and people are just motivated by my spirit of just being out in public which you know being in a wheelchair, is not the end of the world, but to some people, it is. Um, by looking from the outside in, so just having that privilege and opportunity to just motivate someone from from a chair, and it's given me other opportunities to give back that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So that's where I'm. You know, I'm thankful that uh, you know you just focus on again what you you can do.
0: And that's a that's a fascinating awareness. Really, that you have now in in your ability to encourage, your ability to motivate, your ability to inspire, and I I also really appreciated your your willingness to just kind of lay out your prayers in this process. You you laid out what uh, what your mind was thinking, the anger, the confusion, Uh, and now and through the sort of through the process, your faith has always been an important part to you, but it takes on a like a critical, um urgent level in this kind of moment and then maybe changes a little bit. Can you can you tell me a little bit about just how that has evolved, uh the the good and the bad of, of uh those moments?
2: Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a Christian household. My parents went to church every Sunday and just through my relationship with my family I, you know, became a Christian. But it wasn't really the foundation or a rock to my life. And then when I went through this devastating accident, it became this dependency on God because I couldn't depend on I mean, I had to depend on everyone. I couldn't depend on myself anymore. Which my whole life I, I depended on myself. Like I was independent, right? I I could handle things, but I didn't I wasn't I didn't go anything go through anything that was really uh, that shook my world. So having this, my life flipped upside down gave me this dependency on God and a new relationship with him. And I began to just be more grateful for that relationship and what God could provide. And it gave me so much hope in a, a time where I felt hopeless. It just gave me this glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel that of what's possible even with a devastating injury and accident. Like, I just knew that, that something great was possible because of God. So I, it really strengthened my relationship knowing that and how important that was once my life was just completely shaken. And then as time goes on, though, it slowly begins to become like kind of on the back burner, kind of the backseat uh, for, for myself. And then it wasn't until about a couple years ago, um, finding, you know, this great church and Christ Fellowship down here in South Florida where it just really became more of a foundation of my life and who I
1: am. So the fellowship that you found recently in a, in a church has been a really cool thing, and that seems to be sort of part of the ongoing process of what this story is, is going to become moving forward. Looking back to the the time acutely right after the accident you were also surrounded by a type of community and fellowship, and that was your family and friends. It seemed like, to me, uh, that was a really special part of the, the rehab and the recovery process, was having your parents and your sisters there with you, uh, being so helpful and so enthusiastic to you, walk alongside you with that journey. I'm wondering specifically about your parents. So Brian and I are sitting here in this sound booth, both as parents ourselves. Brian said he's got a son that's going to start playing college football This coming fall, I have a son who's going to start playing flag football (laughs) this fall. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: What are your parents' reflections now? Can you speak for them as they look back on all of this, how football likely gave you so much throughout childhood and adolescence, but then it was football that also took away so much? What would your parents say to someone like us asking them, is football good for my kid?
2: You know that's a good question. i I'm, I'm not sure what their specific thoughts on football would be. You know I can't speak for them, but I would say that I think they understand how important it was for me to learn those values of like teamwork and hard work and just pushing your body and yourself to the limits, because it was those lessons I learned from football that allowed me to succeed as an adult right so it was those sort of values that i think they definitely know have carried over into so many areas of my life and although you know football caused me to be in a wheelchair but i, I think it the the value out of football is still greater than what the injury caused so i think they see that and that what's really powerful too uh, in my so, my first book, I wrote a book with my dad, actually, and so you get both my perspective and my dad's perspective, and it goes really into detail that time in the hospital. and what was really powerful about my family throughout this time is that they were so strong. they were so positive and uplifting and encouraging, and that you know Chris, we're gonna do this, like we're gonna get through this together you're not alone. We're going to fight on life. is not over. Like we are going to live a great life. It doesn't matter, you know, how you move, whether you're in a chair or not, like we're going to, we're going to move on and it's going to be a great life no matter what. And they were just like solid about that. And I, I believe them. And I fed off of their positivity and their encouragement and their belief. And when I, in a time where I really needed that so I, I would say, any parent out there just like being strong for your kids and letting your example um carry over to them it's so pivotal and it's something that i as a father now is something that's really important to me it's just you know what kind of example am i setting and what kind of energy am i giving off
0: that is that's great advice thanks so much for for offering that now uh this new book that's coming out the seven longest yards has to um it kind of walks through two of your walks, right? Two important moments in your life that you set as markers. And uh, in the early part of the book, you talk about football, you talk about your, your experience, your, um, your injury, and then it gets a little mushy. I mean, we're talking, <laughs> you, you lured me into a love story. What, we're a sports show, Chris yeah so um let's let's talk a little bit about that so important in your life is your your lovely wife um and she was there during your walk your two walks obviously can you just give a little history there without you know don't turn this into you know something we can't play for you know most people go ahead
2: no it um we met online three years after my injury and i was something too like man, am I going to meet a girl that's going to want to be with me? I, I thought people valued me for being an athlete, for my strength and my competitiveness and, and my success on the field. And But I did learn through this process that that's not where your identity comes from. Your identity comes from who you are as a person, not how fast you can move. and And just I think it's important to understand that because, Uh, when that is taken away, when the competition is gone, sports is gone, you know, life goes on and just understanding that you're more than just an athlete is really important. So, one, first I understood that and then uh, understanding that the value as a person, thankfully, it led to meeting Emily online and we connected and, you know, it was met in person. It was love at first sight. It's a beautiful woman, but she's just an incredible person and just has a heart for other people. And she came alongside me, and we set this goal that I'm going to walk across the stage in my college graduation. And Emily became my my best trainer. She pushed me. She was a a coach for me, and that we were going to see this through. And uh, she was the one that then helped me across the stage. And so it was cool, though, when we went across the stage with her help, Uh, She went across the stage with me as my fiance because I asked her to marry me the day before. Mm. So that was a really special moment, and I was more nervous for that proposal than the actual walk (laughs) in front of thousands of people. And then the walk, yeah, yeah, went great.
1: Good. So you have. You have these cool football analogies throughout, throughout the book, right? So there's your dad giving the, the sort of sarcastic, uh, pseudo-motivational coach talking to your big toe to get it to move in the hospital. And, and in many ways, Emily functions as, as your coach, too. At times when you were down, her saying, nope, we're doing this. And you're saying, well, if, if we screw up, we're in trouble. Then don't screw up, right? Get it done. So in many ways, there's some hard love there uh, from her. I'm wondering, as you guys wrote this, it is a love story, right it, it it's a it has some it's a love story written by a football player and his wife but it's about how your identity shifted in some ways too and so if you have a football player that comes up to you and says why why would I why would I read this this is a love story what, what's in it for me as a football player how would you respond
2: well so it's a story about life right i mean football is going to be such a the actual playing of football is such a small part of the big, you know, span of your life. And so uh, you got to be prepared for life after football. And I think it's just the life lesson in the book are just really important, especially when you are in football, you are playing a sport and you think about life after the sport, which seems like forever away. and It's not going to happen when you're actually in it, but that's going to, the- come a time when you have to face that reality. I think this book will give people the nice kind of perspective on like, wow, you know, life can be great and exciting, uh, just like it is now playing a sport that I love, which is a scary thought at first, but uh, it can be done. And I think this book will be kind of a a roadmap, too, for, for those knowing that that transition will eventually come.
0: Well, Chris, this has been so fascinating and so helpful, and I think our audience is going to be really thrilled to not only hear this, but potentially go out and uh, and get your book and learn. There's so much we didn't even touch on yet in this short period of time. You have a lot of things going on now. You are a motivational speaker. You um, are writing books. There's a film. And not to mention, you and your wife have adopted, I believe, five children, and... Uh, our work very intensely with a with a foster care industry, and so uh, I uh, I want to give you a chance to just talk through the future a little bit. Talk about uh, what your life uh, looks like now. If you could give us even a, an indication of where you are physically, um, some of the, the you know uh, triumphs and pitfalls that you've kind of experienced, and uh, and we'll kind of close it out that way. Give you a chance to to sort of talk about what's next.
2: Yeah, so for me, you know, what's next? You know, right now, I'm living in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, we just moved into a new house, and we have uh, we adopted our five girls, ages twenty, nine, eight, five, and three. So I'm really outnumbered. Our dog's a female too, <laughs> and uh, that's just all you know, coincidence. And then um, on top of that. You know, we've, we're foster parents, and so we foster a total of 17 children uh, in our time together with Emily and I. And uh, We are focusing right now, you know, on the book, The Seven Longest Yards, which comes out July 9th, and that'll be available everywhere. Books are sold. So that's really important to us. And then we have the film, Seven Yards film that we're working on. Uh, the filming's all done. It's in post-production right now and working on distribution, which, you know, we're hopeful by the end of summer we'll have... The landing spot for where that will go, and um, fingers and toes crossed that things go well with that. And then um, motivational speaking, like you said, I travel the country as a motivational speaker, just sharing how you know we can overcome adversity and challenges, and that we can make a greater impact and live out a better plan than the plan we had for ourselves. And then physically, you know, I'm still training, but uh, you know, I'm still wheelchair bound. I get around a manual-style chair, power-assisted wheels that help me propel. But, you know, as a quadriplegic, it's still, you know, I can't reach quite as far. Um, But I'm still training, doing some walking, standing. and thankful to just be a little bit mobile there. Um, But that kind of is some of the things that are going on in my life and just excited to be a dad and raise kids and just try to make – a greater impact and uh, leave a dent on the world.
1: Chris, put on uh, get on your promotional platform here a second. How can we learn more about what you and Emily have going on?
2: Yeah, if you want to get on my website, chrisnorton.org, you can learn about you know my speaking, the foundation that I started that helps those other people with disabilities, the movie, uh, the book. And then also, too, if you want to get the first two chapters of my book for free, I can send that to you. And all you got to do is just take out your phone and just text seven yards in which it can be the actual number seven or just write out seven. So seven yards to the number four, four, two, two, two. Again, just text seven yards to the number four, four, two, 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 and that you can get you the first two chapters of the book plus the film trailer for the movie. But that's a way to connect with us. And then, know, Social media, I'm pretty active on Instagram and Facebook, Twitter, all those different social media platforms, and my handle is Chris A. Norton 16.
0: Chris, you are rocking it. There are a lot of things going on. Thanks so much for taking the time today to tell your story, but also just in general, to be able to uh, spend so much time helping others in this process, helping others in your home, but also helping others by just putting yourself out there. It would be easy. Uh, maybe to pull back, um, and you've done the opposite. You've put out your story, and I think God is working in and through you and your story. And I think that's a uh, just a wonderful thing. Thanks so much for taking some time to talk with us today.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. On. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely, this has been Dig Deep, the podcast about sport and faith.